This is the XC's top five stories of the week-ish. For uh, We're recording this July 22nd. It's going to come out July 23rd, 2020. Is it still 2020, guys? Yeah. Not sure anymore. Yeah, it's a ball of blur. My name is Michael Doyle, and I am joined, as always, by uh, Andrew Crookshanks, who's... Uh, you're, you're, you've migrated back to your home city of Toronto. Welcome back. Back in Toronto. Thank you. feels kind of good to be back. I have to wear a mask a lot more often, but it's all right. Yeah, I mean, there's a sense of norm- normalcy here, as normal as you can get right now. Um, and uh, Alex Sear, who has uh, uh, gone into deep training in his uh, summer training camp on the island of Prince Edward Island. I just totally butchered that. Uh, Alex, how's the running going? Good. I don't think I'm going to leave until I get all the Strava segments and I'm slowly collecting the West coast ones and I'm migrating towards the city. So other PEI runners out there better watch out. He says the West coast of PEI, like it's this, you know, uh, giant Island. (laughs) I'm okay. Yeah, no, it's a good, what's the, what's the, what is the uh, the lengthwise distance of Prince Edward Island? Because it's a three hours three hours drive, but we don't have highways, so I think it's about two. I think it's about two hundred fifty kilometers, but I may be wrong on that. Okay. But it takes about three hours to go from tip to tip. And Andrew and I just discovered on this uh, in our little preamble chatter uh, before we hit the record button that you uh, you ran with a Canadian legend uh today is that correct i did i did i showed mr reed Coolsat one of the nicest trails of the island well actually i took him on the confederation trail which also goes from tip to tip um yeah yeah he said he, he said he liked it we don't have many hills but it's good for an easy run we even dipped under a couple four minute k's so that's good. neat that's neat yeah um yeah so on this uh this week's show we've got we've We've scrounged and collected five stories that we're, we're looking forward to talking about. And I think they're, each of them are worthwhile, um, uh, including uh, uh, an, an, an impressive uh, sprinter who's doing impressive things at this time, um, improbably. Uh, whether or not one certain brand's athletes are jogging races just to check off a box and make, it, make, a, a, make their money and not lose their contract as well as uh, one impressive uh, fastest known time attempt that's going on throughout the summer. But first, our first story of the day, uh, the Bowerman Track Club inter-squad meets uh, have produced some crazy results, uh, including a couple of really special results in the last week or so. Uh, Alex, uh, tell us a little bit about what's been going on in uh, California with the Bowerman Track Club. Yeah, well, it's just been a huge breath of fresh air. We've been waiting to see some pro track, and this one's been firing on all cylinders. So pretty secret meets, um, mostly focused on distance. Um, the whole It all started last week when there was a 5K, and it was super fast. On the women's side, Shelby Houlihan broke the American record, 14.23, and then her teammate, Carissa Schweizer, 14.26, also was under the old American record. So that was a big highlight. Up in Canada, we were got really excited about Mo 
Ahmed, who ran a staggering 5K, 12.47.20. So that was the fast, the 15th fastest time ever run. He's now the 10th fastest man to ever run a 5K, 11 seconds faster than his old record. So absolutely amazing. Mo followed that up with a 1,500. 334.89, fifth fastest Canadian of all time. So he's in really good fitness right now. Um, a few of his teammates ran well. Lopez Lemong at 35 years old, just dropped at 12.58. So there's almost, <laughs> there was nothing for a really long time. And now there's almost too much to know what to focus on. But I guess overall, the group is just really fit. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting to see what Ahmed, I'm excited to see what Ahmed does next. I guess for those who are not like, uh obsessive track distance uh devotees uh breaking 13 minutes is a gigantic deal uh it's that's a totally jaw-dropping world-class effort um particularly from a north american athlete and getting under 1250 is just like crazy (laughs) absolutely crazy rarely happens uh Andrew, usually like these meets where you get these extraordinary sub 13 or certainly sub 1250 performances are like, I think about races like historically, like in the Diamond League in Paris, usually would have put on a fast 5,000 over the years. And you get these stacked fields with some, you know, the best runners in the world just going for it, um, pacers and the whole bit. This was a very different experience obviously because of covid obviously um it, it you know it's an inter-squad meet uh describe to us a little bit about like the the context of this of the of these meets yeah we're used to huge meets when it comes to this kind of stuff we're used to, to the diamond leagues when it's packed stadiums and you have multiple pacers and people from all over the world racing and, and breaking these records but this time it's just it's just one club, and um, we should clarify that these these inter inter squad meets have now been. I believe this was their they just did the fifteen hundred meter one last night, and I think that's their third one. So it's been spread over a couple weeks now, um, but it, it's basically just the Barman Track Club keeping things kind of under wraps, not telling anyone where it's going to be when it's happening, showing up. Um, they film it. They don't live stream it to kind of prevent. Uh, fans from coming to watch they post the videos the next day but it's just them going out and pacing one another and everything's legit they have the timing set up um they have the u.s uh track and field association is is on board with it it's sanctioned and basically you have some of the best runners in the world pacing one another through these insanely fast races uh, and it's pretty incredible to watch, like watching Shelby Houlihan the other day run her 5k, like she looked unstoppable. I, I, it looked like she could have gone faster to be quite honest. She, I'm pretty sure she had to run the last K at least kind of by herself. Um, and Mo Ahmed closed his, his last mile in under four minutes. I know that's nuts. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, now the one thing I think we got to maybe mention about it is, Watching them, I mean, A, it's, it's really set up to run fast with the, the pacers and everything in ideal conditions. And also looking at, at Ahmed and Lamong and, and a few of the other guys, it does look like they're wearing the, the Nike next percent spikes. Right. So you wonder how much of a factor that plays. Although impressively, Shelby Houlihan was apparently wearing the, um, the victory elites, which I, <laughs> I have a lot of respect for her with that, but 
uh, it does make you wonder whether <laughs> whether those spikes are playing a playing a big factor in in running that fast. I, yeah, I, we just have to accept it. I could feel like Andrew's feet aching as he was describing the the the, the victory uh, the victory elite <laughs> spike. His his toes started bleeding uh, just where he's where he's sitting right now. Um, got big half miler feet. Yeah. I've got a pair of those spikes. They're 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 very light, but they're there's not a whole lot to them, and they're hard on your feet. Especially, I, I can only imagine in a five k, just they just tear your feet apart. But um, yeah, I'm excited to see what they do next. Um, I guess a little a little uh, addition to that storyline to that plot is that uh, Canada's uh, Gabriella Stafford has joined the Bowerman Track Club. We have heard, and she is a world-class 1500 meter runner and 5k runner. She's a extraordinary talent from Canada. And so it'd be exciting to see how she, how she gels with that group and how, how that hopefully, you know, continues to boost her, her, her talent and her career. Uh, I'm excited for her. She's a really cool person too. So uh, that's, it's going to be a good fit for her. I think. Topic number two, we got ourselves a world-class track meet kind of uh alex tell tell us about the inspiration games uh that took place in zurich and other places uh across the world yeah mainly in zurich but also in six countries total across 10 time zones and all that for just 30 athletes so it was an in real time basically a sprinting competition where some of the races feature three athletes in the same country and other races will feature three athletes from all different countries. So for example, the men's hundred yards would have Andre de Grasse from Canada, Jimmy Vico of France, Omar McLeod of Jamaica, all competing at the same time and having them right next to each other in like one screen. Uh, I think the highlight of this one was, <laughs> well, there was Alison Felix's time, which was which is a quite good 16, I believe 36. Um, oh, no, I got that wrong. 1681 in the 150 meters that she won, which was just off her own world record of 1636. But I think the highlight that everyone's going to remember, especially if they were on Twitter, was Noah Lyles' uh, little mishap in the 200 meters. So he crossed the line in 1890 and was way ahead of the other guys that he was racing against. So Christophe Lemaitre, who was in France, and Chirandi Martina, who's still around, who's, who's in the <laughs> Netherlands. And uh, Lyles stopped the clock at 18.90, but turns out that he had started from the wrong start line. And I guess that's easy, because if you're the only one on the track, no one's really going to tell you to move over. So, yeah, and it, it kind of an interesting concept. I don't know. I know Michael doesn't really like it. Andrew, hey. what did you <laughs> Uh, first of first things first is uh the 200 world record is like one of those world records where if it ever gets broken it's going to be just like a real holy shit moment uh, it's 19 it's a bold record it's a bold right? record and it's like a it's arguably his best record it's like 1919 um and this was just like crazy way under it. So the replay of the video, it's the whole, the whole race is on, on YouTube. The whole event is on YouTube. So it's kind of an interesting thing to like, to look at and will become like an interesting artifact of this period for the sport. Um, but yeah, like the, the commentators just like eight, 
1990? That can't be right. <laughs> and was like not willing to give him credit for the performance because he was just like, this is not, this is not possible. It's just not possible. Uh, even if he broke the world record, he wouldn't break it by that much. Andrew, as Alex was um, hinting at, what, what, what's your, what's your thoughts on the presentation? Is this like the hot new thing or just like uh, a make do track meet until we get back to the real deal? Yeah, I, I give them credit. Same with the the Bowerman Track Club. Like like they're trying, they're trying to get back to normalcy, or at least bringing track back to people and, and allowing people to watch it and, and engage with it, rather than just like disappearing for a year. Like it's kind of nice to see. It's fun to watch, but I, I'm a little with you. It's it's a little ridiculous watching it. Like just three guys running separately. Uh, it, it almost feels more like they're just doing like an interval kind of by themselves. Um, especially when I, 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 as you mentioned, Michael, I recommend everyone watch the, uh, the Noah Lyles 200 meter video. It's pretty funny. I think, I think it's Steve Cram, like uh, British distance runner, Steve Cram, who, who's the announcer. I think he's the one commentating on it. And Noah Lyles finishes so much earlier than the other guys. It, it's, it's unbelievable. Like there's no way it can be right. So um i don't know it, it kind of makes it look a bit like a gong show when you've got mistakes going on like that but at least they're trying it's giving us something to watch and talk about yeah i i didn't love it i wanted to because it was actually like all things considered fairly high production value like going into it i was like okay so it was like Andre DeGrasse's mom going to be holding up her iPhone, filming him running a hundred yard race on the high school track where he lives in Florida, or is this going to be good? And it was good. It was uh, a legit track. It had the three athletes racing side by side, socially distanced, of course. Um, and, you know, had the like seemingly a pretty high quality production crew with multiple cameras and it felt like a real track meet. Um, and certainly that was the case with the the European the the feeds from the Netherlands and Zurich as well and and from California. Um, just the thing that sucked about it was just, especially with the uh, the fact that it was sprints, they're lined up in this like this this trio of uh, of feeds on your screen, and you're just kind of watching it, and it's just this very jarring thing to watch because you're trying to figure out where each athlete is. It's like, okay, they're going around the first bend. Okay, they're at probably this distance. And to me, it was just kind of, maybe it's my feeble brain, but it was just, I found it kind of confusing and jarring to watch. And I just didn't really enjoy it. I think, and this is, we've talked about this before, but my my theory is that this sort of presentation, this virtual racing uh, is, is much better the, the longer the distance the longer distance the race the better it's going to be because it you kind of let it breathe a little bit and you let the viewer get accustomed to it and you can also present it a little bit more differently and throw some data in and uh that sort of thing um yeah i don't know alex what's your thoughts did you actually enjoy watching this or what well i mean it's better than nothing what i'm thinking of is what's the best distance to try uh, apart from each other because perhaps in theory a 5k or 10k works better but also for the athletes it's probably worse because imagine having three 10k runners 
running a 10k from three different countries they have to go yeah. at it by themselves i feel like that wouldn't be great although i'm thinking maybe a 400 a distance a distanced 400 would be interesting because a 400 is not too long to run on your own but also i think would would give the race a bit more character than a 100 yard dash because you're right. I agree with you. If you're looking at DeGrasse running 100 yards and Vico running 100 yards next to each other, you can't really tell who's beating who and who's ahead. But a 400, you can start being able to tell. I'd like to see a 400. I think that's why the races that actually had multiple athletes competing against each other in the same location had a bit more sizzle to them. Like DeGrasse's 100-yard uh, race was a legitimately exciting thing to watch. Um, he had that classic slow start. He's not a great... He's not great out of the blocks and mm. uh, is so fast in the closing meters or yards, I guess, in this case. And so that was exciting to watch that take place. Um, it just points to just how important it is to have that pure, simple level of uh, live, in-person, person-to-person competition. Uh, yeah, uh, on the, the note of longer distance, um, socially distanced races apparently uh jared ward and jake riley faced off in a 5k against each other um so these are uh, jared ward was a i believe he ran at the 2016 yeah. olympics and jake riley just qualified for the olympic marathon at the the last u.s trials right um and yeah i think they they posted it live on instagram uh and <laughs> apparently uh it was Ward who didn't make the Olympic team this year. He, he finished like way back, I think in the, in the marathon, but he ran 1409 and then Riley ran 1455. So that's like, that's a huge uh -oh. gap. And so it makes you kind of wonder watching them go around, like when they're so far behind, I didn't actually watch it. So I I'll have to, but it, yeah, I don't know how that would, how that would look in, in Riley's defense, doesn't he live in Boulder? Doesn't he? Isn't he a Colorado guy? That might be true. Yeah, that, that's altitude. at altitude. Although um, uh, Ward is in in Utah, which would also be at some level of altitude as well, depending on where you are. But yeah, right. uh, there's that. And, but I love that idea. Like, I want give me more of that. Give me more like throwdown Instagram live throwdowns. I want to see more of that. Next topic. Michael Norman is a name you may or may not be familiar with, but obviously uh, I think going into next year, if we have an Olympics in Tokyo, it's going to be a name that I think might become a household one. Why is that, Andrew? Yeah, he doesn't uh, <laughs> It doesn't sound like the, the same kind of sprinter name as Usain Bolt, but uh, Michael Norman is, is looking pretty impressive right now. Uh, he's a 22-year-old. Uh, he went to USC, and he just ran 9.86 for 100 meters in Fort Worth, Texas. And that improved on his previous PB was 10.27, which apparently he said in high school. And it, he hasn't run the 100 in like four years. Um, and, and I think what's most impressive about him is he's not really a 100-meter guy, and yet he throws down a 9.86. He, he's run 19.7. For 200 meters and his 400 is 43.45 so he's he's unbelievable when you add all of those up and he's, he's kind of looking like 
potentially the most versatile sprinter ever. Like he's, he's certainly in the conversation for it. And despite the fact that I feel like a lot of people don't really know who he is compared to some of the other previous sprinters. Sub 10 is the mark of a truly world-class hundred meter sprinter. Um, sub nine, nine is quite something, uh, going from 10 to seven to nine, eight, six is like, I don't know if you're a distance runner, like if you're on the marathon, that's like, I don't know, taking 10 or 20 minutes off of your marathon time. <laughs> it's a massive, massive number. It's a huge separation. Uh, although of course it was uh, a high school number. So it's been a while. Uh, those are impressive times. Alex, uh, how do you feel about this? Is, 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 is this guy the most versatile sprinter maybe in, in history or at least in the making? And what's your read on this? So you got to start questioning if he is the most versatile when you look at that 10, 20, 44 club. So there are only two male sprinters who have gone under 10 seconds for hundred, 20 seconds for 200 meters and 44 seconds for 400. And it's, uh, Norman and Wade Van Nieker, who broke that 400 meter record at the, at the Rio Olympics in 2016. And between the two, when you look at their times, they stack up to be pretty similar. But before choosing one, uh, you need to, to you need to do a bit of math. So I identified four sprinters who are candidates for most versatile. And we added Bolt in there because Bolt's got obviously a really good 100 and 200. And he used to run the four, he was a 400 runner as a junior and he ran a pretty solid one in 45, 28 early on in his career. And then also Michael Johnson had a really good uh, 43, 18, had the previous world record before Van Nieker and also 1932, 200. So narrowed it down, the four most versatile sprinters being Bolt, Van Niekerk, Norman and Johnson and I did a bit of math so basically just added up their 100 meter 200 meter and 400 meter times and who's got the fastest combined time who has the fastest combined time Michael Johnson oh. 7259 seconds with the three combined followed by Van Niekerk at 7281 Norman is two tenths of a second slower than Van Niekerk in wow. total and Bolt actually trails in 74 05. So if we go by that, the most versatile sprinter of all time is Michael Johnson, although he is not in that club, right? Because his right. hundred meter is 10.09. So yeah, it's it's up for debate. But no, the, the interesting thing about Norman too is he's only 22, right? So he's got really fast times, but there's a whole lot of time for improvement. It's funny that he hasn't gotten very much publicity until now. I think he's kind of in the shadow of Noah Lyles, who's a bit more boisterous and, and uh, you know, kind of gets the cameras to follow him. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. He's also he's also really close to that sub 43 with Van Niekerk. If those two could get together and push each other, perhaps we'd see a 42 high 400 meter runner. And that would be incredible. Well, it, perhaps we'll see that in the Olympics next year. Um, I, I will add this, though, uh, that Usain Bolt's you know, many have argued that he, if he would have focused on the two and the four, he would have been the greatest 400 meter runner of all time, as well as 200 meter runner. Uh, he just didn't focus on it. Uh, so who knows what he could have done in the 400. Um, sorry, a Andrew, you, I cut you off there. Uh, what do you, what's your, what's your thinking on this? Do you think he's, um, he's obviously got room to improve and I think 
it'll make it a very exciting uh it'll actually be really interesting to see what 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 choices he and his coach make going into Tokyo what races that that he will actually take on yeah definitely i i was actually going to say the same thing with with bolt i think he's he's a little underrated there because he he didn't run many 400s and and you do question whether if he had devoted a little bit more to it he would have run a faster 400 um i also just saw and now this is just throwing throwing theories out there um gossip and rumors but um i saw on twitter there was a, a link to a story where bolt was quoted as saying if his his former coach asked him to come back he would return. He would come out of uh, out of retirement. Oh God! Uh, but then his coach was quoted as saying, "I never told him he should retire." So, you know, they're they're playing. He still wants his stardom. He's he's maybe feeling a little like David Rudisha syndrome or, or Mo Farah. They want the want the spotlight back a little bit. So maybe we'll Anyone, see Bolt come back to the four hundred. Who knows? Anyone been checking on Rudisha? By the way, is, is he coming back still? Tania, I think he's, uh, this is working in his favor, eh? He's got an extra year now. Yeah. yeah. Well, 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 we've, we're on the Rhodesia file. We're following it. We're following it. Next topic. Alex, there was a curious tweet that we picked up on, uh, and others did as well, obviously, um, that touched upon a rather interesting uh, dimension of uh, the life and trials and stresses of the elite athlete during COVID. And what exactly was that tweet and why are we, why, why was it so fascinating? Yeah. So this one came from two days ago uh, from PJ Vazel, who was an ex coach at Altus sprinting group in Shanghai. And he was tweeting that Nike athletes apparently had to make a minimum number of races this year, despite COVID to avoid contract, uh, cutoffs. So some of them just jogged some meat on Thursday. It was the AP ranch high performance meat. And yeah, it's, you look at the results and things just don't really add up. You have Nike athlete Delilah Muhammad, who ran a 33, 69, 250 meters. And for reference, this, this is a 23 second, pretty consistently 23 second, 200 meter runner. So that makes no sense. And then we have uh, Michael Norman who who dropped a 796 60 meter. So obviously way, way slower. Justin Gatlin actually won the 60 meter for the men and his time of 684 is probably the most respectable time and still obviously slower than he can run. So it looks like these athletes were just dog and meats and some of them ran a few different heats just to make sure that they had enough races. So um, kind of an odd thing that they have to do running 10 races this year that also you know encourages them to travel as much as possible in a weird time. So um, yeah, something a bit concerning there. Yeah, Andrew, this is a, it's a complex issue. And it's the reason why we wanted to unpack this here is that, you know, it's the, it's outdoor season. Uh, you've got a contract. There's, there's a, a real issue in the track and field world when it comes to tra- to contracts, right? Like where there's a lot of uncertainty as to what uh, a contract entails. And uh, it's not like team sports where it's transparent and everyone knows how much everyone's making and that's how these contracts are negotiated. So I'm not surprised to hear that there would be uh, a minimum number of meets that you've got to, perform at in order to fulfill your contract but 
like this is obviously not a great idea considering what's going on in the U.S. right now. Yeah, yeah. I think the sad thing is it, it doesn't really surprise me that much after kind of what happened, the whole thing with Nike and the, the whole maternity um, leave with the, the contracts there, like, like that was an issue too. And it just seems like they create these contracts without – common sense like i mean obviously they look at these people they don't look at them as people they look at them as commodities and and things to to boost their brand awareness and and push the nike name so so when you have you have michael norman or you have justin gatlin signed to nike like the expectation is these guys are going to go out and run as many meets as they possibly can and run as fast as they can and make nike look as good as they can but for these guys, it's, it's not worth it. Like, I don't know. I feel like looking at the three of us, we're stressed enough just getting through everyday life here. Um, and then you look at these guys who are having to perform like at their optimal level during these meets and, you know, they've got to be worried about catching coronavirus and, and infecting maybe their loved ones or, or if they have compromised immune systems. So, and if they're having to travel around the States, especially in hot spots like Florida and, and other States, it, it can obviously cause issues. So I don't know, maybe Nike just needs to, to chill this year. <laughs> just, just pay them their money. Yeah. It's some, I guess probably some speculation around the Bowerman uh, inter-squad meets is kind of like uh, fulfilling that and creating a bit of hype uh, on behalf of the great uh, swoosh overlord. Um, although in that context, it makes a little bit more sense because uh, apparently the the bulk of the athletes competing against each other are uh, housemates They and, and have been trained together for some time. Uh, I know that that was the conversation around uh, the certainly the men's 5K uh, that uh, many, if not all of them, most of them... Uh, live together and sort of have bubbled together uh, throughout the pandemic, which makes sense when you look at the times, the performance from Mohammed, um, Mohammed that clearly he's been training <laughs> and training with others. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Alex, that uh, this is a mistake and a company like Nike just, should just cut that, just cut the damn checks. Like just cut the checks, just pay these people. Yeah, you also wonder about peaking, right? Maybe this is a time for athletes to to focus on their training, to fix the things that aren't working. By making athletes race ten times a summer, maybe they're risking they're risking eventual loss, getting their athletes to over race in what eventually has become a non Olympic year, and perhaps next year comes and they're actually not running better because of it. Yeah, this is a I, this is a year where it's like maintain fitness. You know, don't lose your edge. Don't lose anything. But uh, unless you see a special moment like the aforementioned Bowerman uh, athletes, just just kind of ride that line. Don't get injured, and then reload for next year's outdoor season. Last topic: as runners, we love. A project. We love a big goal and we like to plan for it, structure it, organize it, and eventually, hopefully, conquer it. 
an American uh, runner is endeavoring to set a fastest known time on a very, very long uh, course, for lack of a better word, a very long trail uh, in the U.S. Andrew, tell us a little bit about uh, this attempt. Yeah, Liz Andros, um, who, who also goes by the name Mercury. Uh, I, I'm not sure if there's an explanation behind that, but she is attempting to uh, get the fastest overall time for the Appalachian Trail. Uh, admittedly, I don't know that much about the Appalachian Trail. I've read Bill Bryson's Walk in the Woods. That's that's about as far as my knowledge goes. But, that's that's um, further. That's probably further than most people's knowledge. But. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be 2,193 miles of running slash hiking. Uh, so she's going from Springer mountain in Georgia to Katadine in Maine. Uh, and she's, she's going for the overall record, which is pretty cool. It's set by, uh, Carol Saab in 2018 and it's 41 days, seven hours and 39 minutes, which is pretty hard to wrap your head around. There is also a woman's record, which is 46 days, 11 hours, and 20 minutes. That was set by Jennifer Farr Davis in 2011. Uh, so, I mean, that would be pretty unreal if she got the the overall one, because as we've been seeing, it's uh, the ultra marathons are kind of up in the air. Like, it, it's not really dominated by men. Uh, a lot of women are doing quite well. But in order to accomplish this, she has to do, like, it's going to be, like, 50-plus miles a day kind of thing so pretty grueling uh and she's kind of in the midst of it right now if you check out her website she's she's doing daily updates so alex uh what's the what's the farthest distance you've run in a single day oh my god uh i think 26 27 kilometers and it was a long run and it was enough it's yeah it's amazing to think that running that much in a day for 40 days consecutively. You know, this is how much I know about the Appalachian Trail. I drove a big part of it from Georgia to, well, up to Canada, up New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island. It took, we took two full days to drive back from Florida when COVID got really bad. And we drove frantically, probably about 120, 130 kilometers. Uh, and it took us two days without sleep. So I can't imagine someone running the whole thing. <laughs> and the thing is too, it, it's, the distance is so long and so warped that it's hard to even make a judgment call or a prediction as to whether or not she can get it. But what we do know about her running is that she has a pretty steady, pretty solid speed background. You know, she's not just someone who can run for a really long time. Like she's had a 36, 44, 10 K 122 half marathon and 251 in the marathon. So if she, if she has endurance, which I imagine she does, it'd be pretty, pretty crazy to take this on if she didn't. Uh, she also has speed. So um, it'll be interesting to see how she makes it. Quite, quite a summer project, really. Uh, <laughs> I just hope she doesn't have COVID because she's, she's displaced. She's uh, covering a whole lot of distance. I'm going to go ahead and say if she's, she's, if she's ill, she's not going to be able to do 50 miles in a single day. At least not for very many days ago. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Won't get out of Georgia. Yeah. It's, um, you know, the Appalachian Trail is, has quite a bit of romance around it, particularly in the U.S. Uh, Quite a few people 
typically every year attempt to hike it throughout the spring, summer, fall months. Um, it's kind of one of these uh, rite of passage, particularly as a young person, if you're interested in hiking and nature and these odysseys, these grand experiences, uh, you know, a small number of people uh, every year in the grand scheme of things um, try to try to hike the thing, try to walk the thing. Um, so running it is a whole other, a whole other uh, experience and covering 50 miles a day is uh, no easy feat, but she's a quality runner and uh, this is a fascinating attempt. I love it. I think it's a cool idea, particularly in this context, as long as she's staying safe and, and, and being very mindful of other people's, health and safety as well um i think it's a really cool project and good luck to you mercury uh all right that's that's it for this week uh make sure to subscribe to our regular newsletter at the xc.substack.com uh as we've teased in the past we do have things coming down the pike uh we're just working on them and they will be here soon 